Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Astros Baseball is brought to you by Ram Shirts. Ram Shirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Ram Shirts. Go to RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Here's your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. Joining me tonight, uh, co-author of the Hidden Ball Trick and Stat Wizard, Jim Passan. Jim, thanks for coming on, buddy. Rob, Dan, I appreciate the invite, man. I've been looking forward to doing this for a few months since you reached out, and uh, I'm glad we get to do this now that the baseball season's on its way. So we got a few things we're going to go over tonight, folks. We're gonna we're both going to share our biggest heartbreak our best, happiest moment from baseball. And then I know what I'm going to do is put a team together from just from my favorite players from my past. Not really who I think's the best, but my favorite players. But I think Jim has it a little different than me. But before that, you know, I have to talk about Carlos Correa. I haven't talked about him yet. It's been a while since I've done a podcast. He goes to Minnesota, three-year deal, $105.3 million. And the reason, I didn't even know this, but the reason he did, do you know the reason, Jim? The reason why he went to Minnesota? No, the reason why his his, his deal was for $105.3 million and not just $105 million. Th- There's a reason for that? No, I do not know. No, yeah. enlighten me. So the reason is he would he will have they had to add that little bit so that he would have the highest annual salary of of any infielder. That's <laughs> why did, they added it on. Who did it surpass? I don't know. Don't I think it was Seeger. I, I don't know who it is. Oh yeah, Seeger's deal probably. That's hilarious. That's that, the that, deal he wanted, but yeah. that's not the deal he got. <laughs> I never no, I, I never knew that. I never I never even took into account. Just, you know, baseball has goofy numbers when it comes to contracts. I just figured it was another one. I didn't really realize there was a reason behind it. So thirty five point one million a year for AAV would have set the record or the, the highest for infielder. I'll be day. I guess so. All right. Well, congratulations, Carlos. <laughs> so he goes to Minnesota, three year deal. But he has an opt-out after both seasons. So pretty much here's what I'm thinking. So it came out in the news that 
um, his new agent, Mr. Scott Boris, there's some deals they had on the table before he had Boris, and Boris doesn't get that money. He gets, I think he might get a little bit, but his former uh, agents get the majority of that. So I'm thinking two reasons. He didn't get the Seeger deal that he was looking for. So he just signed this one so that he could get out of it. You know, go make your $35 million and go through this circus again. And also, I don't think I don't think a player would actually, you know, gamble, you know, on injury or whatever. But next year, we'll go through this again, and Scott Boris will get paid. So what do you think? Why do you think he did it? I didn't know that about Scott. I knew he went to Scott Boris, but I didn't know that he was going to have to share the money with his former employer on this deal, which, I mean, kind of makes you feel like Scott Boris wasn't putting his best effort in to get that long-term deal, right? So, uh, but I don't know. Uh, It's it's odd to me that that was like that. But for me, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the deal, I mean, Carlos is 27. I mean, he hasn't really even probably even hit his prime yet. Right. So I, I think that there's, yeah, more money out on the table. I think they know that. I think I'm sure Boris knows that just as well as Carlos does. Um, I think, you know, 35 million is a pretty good deal to have uh, per year for the next three years. So, I mean, the fallback is really nice. I, I mean, I think this is uh, everything that you can look for to, to make sure you have your safety blanket in place. Uh, but it gives you that opportunity that if you have just a tremendous 2022 that, you know, you could kind of go out and say, you know what, I like Minnesota. I like how great of a season I had in Minnesota. But because of that season, I got to go test the market again. And then who knows, right? He could end up back in Minnesota again. But, I mean, it's a, it's an odd one, right? Because there was the, all the all the rumors were that he was going to need a long-term deal to be landed. And then all of a sudden you find out that that's not really the case. And, uh, you know, it, it was just a, it was an odd one. I wasn't ready for Carlos Correa to sign something that, you know, we all kind of feel. I mean, I don't know if all of us feel, but it almost feels like it's a one-year deal. I don't think it's a three-year deal. That's how I feel. And, you know, you mentioned Boris gets a piece he doesn't, I mean, his old agents get a piece of it, but it was the ones that they had before. So yep. maybe he didn't have a deal with Minnesota and he gets that, his cut. But maybe Minnesota is the only one that's willing to do that kind of deal because I had read that their number one prospect is a shortstop and they don't want to sign someone long deal. I mean, long term. So it's going to be good for them. It's going to be good ticket sales. It's a good team. I mean, they're not favored to win their division, but I mean, like, I think it's just a, it's just a one-year thing. That's why, that's why he has opt-outs. It's a one-year thing. I'll wait till next year, and we'll go through this again, and I'll get my money next year because he can't stay three years. He's gonna be thirty. Yep. Yeah, I don't think you want to do three years to get to thirty and then try to test that market again. You're not gonna get the. I mean, I, I mean, it depends if you can stay young, stay healthy during it. But once you hit 30, we start seeing those contracts be a little bit tougher, especially for shortstop. That's, you know, I mean, 30 is a pretty old age in baseball now, but it's a very old age at shortstop these days. So, you know, how will he convert to a third baseman or something to that effect? Right. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it's a curious one. It's a it's an odd deal um, for both sides, right? Like, I mean, what's Correa got going on? Why is he thinking that? And then the Twins. I mean, they finished last in the in the Central last year, right behind the Royals. Uh, I mean, it's uh, do they feel like they that spending this type of money? You would think if you're spending this on Korea for only one year guarantee, they actually think that they've got a shot, right? That they're they're putting a run at it. So, and I don't know if we feel that way about the Twins. I mean, I think they've got a a pretty decent team. I think they're in the right division to make a run for it. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious as all heck about this, and just to see what this season plays out to be with Korea for one year. So, bonkers. I had no idea that Minnesota finished last. Because right? the, la- the last thing I remember is playing them in the playoffs in 2020 and everybody thinking that the Twins were going to destroy us because we we're 29 and 31. And then uh, we beat them and then no one gives us credit because Minnesota loses all the time. Yep. But going back to Correa, you know, as soon as he hit free agency, I'm like, there's no way he's coming back. Because he wants a long-term deal, and the Astros don't do that. But then a few days ago, Jim Crane got involved. And I'm like, uh-oh. And then rumors started coming around. You know, they, they're talking to the Astros again. Here we go. And Martin Aldonado is, is uh, trolling everybody. And we think, oh, my goodness, like something's going to happen. So I went from 0% to almost predicting, and I may have, I may have predicted it on one of the last few podcasts. And then I read this today, that the Astros never even made him another offer. Huh. And that, that shocks me. I mean, why, why talk about bringing Jim Crane in if you're not going to make an offer? Yeah, at least some sort of improvement on the previous offer, just to, I mean... You're not just going to stand pat. That that offer was already probably turned down. It probably was it was dead on arrival, right? So, yeah, why would you bring him in if you're not going to at least improve on the offer or offer something at least something different to maybe entice him? So, yeah, that's odd to hear that. So the Astros, you know, they had George Springer, and they're like, okay, we can't sign him because they can't sign everybody, obviously. Yeah. But oh, okay, we can't sign George Springer. We got to save our money for Correa. Now they didn't sign Correa. Who are they saving the money for? That's what a lot of people are asking on social media. So it's like, okay, you got Jordan Alvarez, you got Kyle Tucker. Both of them were second team All MLB. Wrap them up now. You know, let's let's wrap them up like we did Alex Bregman a few years ago. Uh, so we don't. I mean, if you're gonna sign guys, like if you say you're gonna spend money. I think the fans are going to expect you to do it. So sticking with the Astros, I know you you heard about this because I brought it up before we started recording, but in today's game, I believe it was today's, Dusty Baker and his son, is his name Darren? Yeah, Darren. They they met at home plate and exchanged uh, lineup cards. He plays, he's a a prospect with the Nationals. How cool was that? Dude, uh... I mean, I, I thought it was cool that my dad was able to attend baseball games that I played when I was a kid, right? I mean, I, I just, I loved having him in the stands. I Can you imagine, yeah, meeting your, I mean, probably your future Hall of Fame father, 
right? Uh, out there, uh, out there exchanging lineups. When I mean, I don't even know how old Darren is. He's got to be pretty young. I mean, is he? This is his first season, I believe. So he's probably nineteen. Um, no, nah, man. It, I mean, I'm not even a baker, right? And I got goosebumps watching that video. I watched it <laughs> multiple times, right? It was uh, uh, it was quite the thing. I mean, I can't imagine having something like that happen to you within a baseball family. Crazy. All right, guys. So if you don't know who Jim is, he's a big stat guy. And so I wanted to share one with him that I, I just stole off the internet recently. I read it. I read it before. And it's just so crazy because things aren't like this anymore. But 1997, Greg Maddox threw a 76-pitch complete game. And it's in it. And it said this is known as a four in, this is known as four innings to most current pitchers now. 76 pitch complete game. How do you do that? Right? I mean, and and Maddox wasn't like playing in the era of, uh, I mean, the the rate of strikeout per nine or the K percentage wasn't as high as it is today. It's never been as high as it is today, but it was still fairly good, right? When Maddox was pitching and when he was doing that type of work, he just wasn't a strikeout pitcher. He was more than welcome to let you strike out. He just didn't want to use more than three pitches to do it, right? So always had the ball in play. I mean, it, it I don't remember who the creator is, but there's somebody out there that, you know, coined the term the Maddox. And I believe that was uh, complete games of less than 100 pitches. And uh, he he was a guru at it. That was his that was his thing. So, um, yeah, it, it's just not something that you really see, especially then and definitely don't see now. Right. It's a strikeout game. You're using six, seven pitches to put somebody away today. And he's over there, you know, burning through 27 outs using less than, than three pitches an out, right? That's no. Nah, if you see one of those anytime soon, it's going to be nothing short of a shocker, right? Yeah, you're definitely not going to see that in today's game. So can you think of anything being a stat guy that's kind of remarkable like that? Uh, you know, I mean, if you if if I'm thinking of things like, okay, it, it doesn't happen very often, even back in the day, and definitely doesn't happen very often now. I mean, I kind of lean towards, uh, like, it's almost opening day, right? One of my favorite ones about opening day is, is the last pitcher to throw 125-plus pitches on opening day. Uh, do you know who that would be? No. What no, year was it? It was 2002. I have no idea. Lee Bon uh, Hernandez. It was Randy Johnson. Damn, I was going to say that. Yeah, Randy Johnson. And uh, you want to know who the last guy before that was? Who? 2001, Randy Johnson. In <laughs> fact, 2000, Randy Johnson. 1999 Randy Johnson and 1996 Randy Johnson are the last five times a pitcher has thrown 125 plus pitches on opening day. Former, Astro, former Astros legend, the big yeah. unit. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't get a chance to do it with the Astros, right? I believe yeah. that was a midseason acquisition and then uh, then he moved on, right? So, 
never had an opportunity there. But yeah, I, I think that's one that, that sparks me is that you're just not going to see anybody throw. You hardly even see anybody throw 100 pitches on opening day now, much less 125. So yeah, um, yeah just something goofy for a, a you know Hall of Fame style pitcher like Maddox is, right? Randy Johnson's got his, his uh, quirks too that would just never run across hardly ever again. If we do, it'll be weird. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the biggest heartbreak. And when I was thinking about this, I remember when the Astros got Randy Johnson, he came in and pitched. He was like 11 and 0, just tearing everybody up. We had a really good team. And I thought that the Astros were going to go all the way that year. And that was, I thought that was my biggest heartbreak. But the, you mean to go first? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd love to. I'd love to hear what the heartbreak is. All right. What do you got? So, so my biggest heartbreak is Kansas City at Houston, Game Four of the ALDS. The Astros are up two games to one. In the top of the eighth inning, the Astros lead six to two. And this is 2015 Astros. You're talking about some struggles before that. They're up six to two. They're up two games to one, eighth inning. And this game, I, I remember watching it. It just drove me nuts. But it was, I've got to look at my notes here. So it was three singles in a row. The base is loaded. No outs, and then they get an RBI single, make it six to three. Another RBI single, six to four. So it was th- that's my note. I can't read my notes, but it's three singles <laughs> in a row. That, that's what it is. So three singles in a row loads the bases. Another single makes it six to three. Another single makes it six to four. Then there was a fielder's choice and an error on Correa brought in two runs, and it's six to six. Then there was a strikeout. Then a runner scored from third on a ground out and made it seven to six. And then Kansas City scored two in the ninth and they win nine to six. And then Astros go on to lose game five in Kansas City. And then they go on to win the World Series. So we had this one. This is oh, yeah. a team that was so bad. And they finally got in the playoffs. They were finally there. They had it. And then it. I, from memory, I was like, I think they had like seven singles in a row. Like, we couldn't get them out. But it was three, <laughs> four, five. I think it was five in a row. Yep. But it was still a lot. So that, that was my biggest heartbreak. And that error feels like a, a single, too, right? I mean, the fielder's choice error. I mean, it's a ball that's it's in the infield, right? Um, and it's followed by a Dyson steal of second base to put another guy in scoring position. It just, yeah, everything about that inning just screams no why why now right it's just yeah and sets you up to have to play a, a fifth game uh in kansas city um yeah it just yeah the dagger that just hurts right that feels like you lost two games in one rough yeah I hear so we that failed one. so we failed to mention folks that jim lives on the noisiest street in the world so that's <laughs> what you're hearing you're in cars drive by so hopefully that's not bothering you and you're still with us because we've got some ace content for you tonight. 
Yeah, if you're the one driving down my street really loud and fast and everything else, just slow it down a little bit, please. Yeah, we're recording. <laughs> All right, what's your biggest heartbreak? Uh, so, uh, I'm a kid born and raised in Montana. Uh, we don't have a professional baseball team in Montana. So, uh, I was raised a Yankees fan by my father who was raised a Yankee fan by his father. So, um, my heartbreak falls uh, to the 2001 world series game seven. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good series. It's a battle over and over again to get to game seven. Um, down one nothing in game seven and uh i i can't quite recall who gets it to one one but it's like a, a a double followed by a single if i remember correctly to tie it up and then alfonso soriano comes up in the eighth and hits the solo shot to lead off the inning that puts you up two to one and it's like it, you know it's done you know it's done they're about ready to bring in mo and uh and then it, then it happens right and then it just doesn't play out well um you get weak hits and, and eventually you you get a run that crosses a plate that's unearned and then uh and then luis gonzalez comes through to finish breaking my heart um i, I mean I, I'm, I remember sitting on the couch just getting ready to celebrate for the you know i mean it, it sadly it's the fifth time in six years where you're gonna get to celebrate it and uh and I was jacked about it. And then uh, my evening was filled with text messages from friends that weren't Yankee fans instead. And it was a it was a long night, right? But <laughs> I think you know that that's the one that when I when I think of things like the 2003 World Series, I think of other things. That's the one that always sticks out to me because it was. I mean, we we didn't we knew how good Mo was then, right? But we didn't know how good he was going to be throughout his career in the postseason. It was just. A, there was so much more left to see on how great he was to show how odd it was that that moment was going to take place. I mean, if I'm if I'm doing this and I'm a Diamondbacks fan, I, I would say that's my favorite moment in history, not my my biggest heartbreak. Right? Yeah. That would that's the one that got me. So moving to my happiest moment, it's not the it? 2001 World Series Game Seven, is it? No, my, happy, my, happy, my happiest moment is the 2017 ALCS versus your Yankees. Yep. So we win in game seven. Yankees are up, what, three games to two. The Astros go back home, win seven to one. They went four to zero. I know there's some things going on that year, but it, it didn't take away my memory of that night. And I know it, I... I think I got more joy from them reaching the World Series, you know, because like I said, they they were bad and they were starting to get better. And I mean, I teared up. I mean, I was seriously like touched and very, you know how you're so happy you you want to cry a little bit. I don't know how to word <laughs> that. I want to sound like a big man here. But yeah, I mean, I was so happy. So happy. Like, I, I wouldn't even have cared if they lost the World Series. I mean, I just remember being so happy. And I, I was happy they won the World Series, too. But I just remember, you know, them getting to that point and beating the Yankees. You know, everybody loves beating the Yankees. But they were down three games to two. They go home. They went seven to one and four to zero. They just took it. And I, I was as happy as I could be. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, what a series, right? I mean, home team wins every game, right? So, you know, home field advantage was the one of the deciding factors. Um, you're looking at, what, two one-run ball games in Houston that were, I mean, between two pretty dang good teams that turned into pitchers' duels. Uh, two to one, two to one. I mean, game two, Justin Verlander takes the win and Aroldis Chapman takes the loss. That's the type of game game two is. You could just look at the winner and the loser and be like, wow, that's bonkers, right? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it was just, you know, uh, it was one of those down moments as a Yankee fan coming. Yeah, you're down 2 nothing. Uh, then you sweep the the three games at home, and yeah, you're on a high again. But, you, I mean, that 2017 season, I mean, there was – the Astros and Yankees were both good, but there was also the Altuve and the uh, – the Aaron Judge MVP race, right? That was ridiculously close and very uh, tenuous between fans. Um, so, I mean, there was so much going on with that. There was so much uh, emotion in there from both sides. I, yeah, yeah, I don't blame you for really loving that. You know, you talk about the American League MVP, and I think Altuve was awarded it for two reasons. I think it was what he'd been doing in previous seasons and also that Aaron judge was a rookie and he was going to, he was going to win another award. So I, I kind of think Aaron judge being a rookie is kind of why, you know, they kind of picked, uh, well, to over him. Yeah. Yeah. But you just can't deny a season where the guy leads the league and hits that's three forty six. I yeah. mean, pops 20 dingers plus and steals 30 plus bases. I mean, uh, what he meant to the team and everything else is, you know, some people describe value isn't just the best overall season. It's what it meant to the team. It was no surprise to me that, that either one of them would have won that. Right. I mean, I know who I was rooting for just because of my, my team. Right. But, you know, both were deserving of it. Um, yeah, it was, it was a great race. And, and I'm all right with the way that it turned out. And like you said, maybe there's something to be, hey, he's going to win the rookie of the year for Judge. But I, I really think that, yeah, I think El Tupe earned every every vote that he got on that. So, no. Well, that's yeah. nice to hear. They should both be happy. They were both great that year. So, yeah. That's a, yeah, good moments, man. 2017, I mean, for the Astros fans, I mean, it's been a dozen years since you guys have been in the, in the World Series. Um, yeah first first win right that was the first yeah. world series championship for the astros that set up you know kind of where you guys are today uh, it's been a hell of a run so yeah I, I i totally get it what about you what's your happiest moment I, i'm gonna go back to 2001 again um i i i get goosebumps when i when i think about it every time and it's the 2001 all-star game um Cal Ripken's last year, Cal Ripken's on the all-star team. It's at Safeco Field. Alex Rodriguez is the starting shortstop, and uh, and Ripken's the starting third baseman. And they go out to take their positions, and, and A-Rod won't let Cal Ripken play third base. He forces him over to shortstop, changing the lineup card on the spot right then and there, saying, nope, this is, this is your spot this inning. And... Uh, and that just gets me every time I think back to that, right? Uh, and then uh, two, three innings later, right? I mean, Ripken's up at the plate, and he hits this solo shot to give the AL the lead in the game, right? And it's just 
Uh, I mean, it was such a storied career. I, I I respect everything that Cal Ripken ever had to do to stay on the field. Uh, he was just, you know, he always had a good rep. And, uh, yeah, that that all-star game, as much as I'm not really a big fan of all-star games, especially today, they're usually, you know, a little less interesting than they've ever been. And uh, But that one, yeah, it just hit me hard. And uh, one of my favorite moments by far. Have you ever heard the rumor about Cal Ripken? No. <laughs> so these guys came out with a podcast, and it's called The Rumor. And supposedly, you know, there was a game when he when Cal Ripken had a streak going. He had already broke the record, but the streak was still intact, right? And so okay. there was a there was a game where it got canceled because they couldn't get the lights on. And so two days later this rumor started spreading that he got in a fist fight with, with uh, Kevin Costner. You know, he left to go to the ball because they were friends. <laughs> he left to go to the ballpark, forgot something, came back home. Kevin Costner's in the bed with his wife. They get in a fight. He's not able to play in the game. So they, in order to keep the streak alive, they cut the lights and get the game canceled. And so, so there's actually a podcast out called The Rumor, and these guys investigate it because they want to know if it's true or not, and it's very good. That's hilarious. No, I've never heard that story. That's bonkers. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, that's bonkers. Yeah, that'd be crazy if that's true. I mean, wow, what a story. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the first time hearing that. I love it, man. That's oh, I, I wouldn't shock me, right? I mean. There's always great stories amongst players, right? So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. <laughs> All right, let's build our team. All right. From our from our all-time favorite players. So let's start with catcher. I have Johnny Bench. He, he nice. Was, he, he was very good when I was a kid. My dad was a red. My dad's a bandwagon fan. I didn't know this till I was older. Because he was a Reds fan, and I go back, okay, well, they had the big red machine. You know, but Johnny Bench also had the baseball bunch, and I watched that as a kid. And so I say Johnny Bench and my other – well, I, I won't even mention my other person, but yes, I will. My The only other one – because the only one I can think of that I really ever liked is Martin Maldonado as far right. as catchers. Besides Johnny Bench, I mean, who you got? Oh, for me, it was Yvonne Rodriguez. Um, Pudge. Yeah, he, he, he touched he touches like almost everything that you can, right? You know I mean, if there's really such thing as you know, being close to a five-tool catcher, I mean, he seemed to be that guy, right? He had the defense, he had the arm, he had the bat. I mean, he was a, a little bit of speed. I mean, the... The guy had it all. I mean, he won 13 gold gloves, 14 all-star appearances, won an MVP, which is usually not the easiest thing to do from the catcher's position. But, you know, also won seven silver sluggers, played 21 years, won a World Series championship with the with the Marlins. Um, he was just ridiculous. And, and that, that 1999 season where he won the MVP, hits 35 home runs and steals 25 bases as a catcher. And, and I mean, only one other catcher has even stole 15 bases and hit 25 homers in a season. And that was Carlton Fisk in 85. Um, 
Juan Rodriguez's peak, uh, it just it was admirable. It was fun to watch. I mean, so for me, he ended up being just ahead of Johnny Bench for me on my as Johnny got my honorable mention here. And and then as a stack guy, I'm so curious about Josh Gibson. And so honorable mention to him too. I would I would love to know what he actually did and, and the numbers that he posted. I would I think he could easily be the best catcher ever if I just if I knew more. All right, first base. My two honorable mentions is Jeff Bagwell and Rod Carew. I loved Rod Carew when I was a kid, mostly because I, I collected baseball cards and he was always an all-star. But my favorite player now is Yuli Gurriel, so he's my favorite first baseman of all time. I mean, I know he's not the best first baseman of all time, but I'm putting my team together with my favorite player. So I'm going Yuli Gurriel. Yeah, right. I mean, that was the that was the task at hand here, favorite players. Um Growing up as a Yankee fan, I could have probably you would ask me this question twenty years ago. It's it's Don Manningly hands down, uh, but you're asking a much older version of me today, and I I love the stats, right? So for me, my first baseman is Albert Pujols. I mean, what he did to a baseball for the first decade of his career. Um, I mean, he only won three MVPs because Barry Bonds existed, right? I mean, he could have won six or seven while he was in St. Louis. It was uh, a, such an unbelievable stretch. Um, the man hit, you know, a 1037 OPS for the Cardinals for his first 11 seasons, all with the Cardinals. Um, averaged 40 home runs a year and 188 hits. More walkouts than strikeouts during that time. He was worth eight war every year from his first year through his 11th year with the Cardinals. I, I just, I feel like he's the best first baseman of our generation and the generation before it. And, and I, I love watching everything about uh, his old games, right? So, and, and I just love cruising through his stats on top of it. So he's my, he's my first baseman. But my honorable mentions go to Lou Gehrig um, and then Buck Leonard. So, yeah, those are the guys that I have up there also. But Albert Pools for me. All right. My second baseman that I thought of was Jose Altuve. As a younger kid, Ryan Sandberg, because I used to be a Cubs fan. Nice. But I'm going with Craig Biggio as my second oh. baseman. I love it. King of the hit by pitch. Uh, yeah, always on base, pain in the butt if you if you're playing against him. Oh man, yeah, I could see, I could see that for sure. And Ryan Sandberg, yeah, uh, WGN, right? I don't, I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but that was it was WGN and TBS as kids, and uh, I couldn't tell you who played second base for the Braves, but I know who was playing second base for the Cubs, and uh, he's definitely on my honorable mention list, alongside Rogers Hornsby, but. If I, had to guess, if I had to guess for the Braves, it was Glenn Hubbard. It would probably have been Glenn Hubbard. If I had right? to guess. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. yeah, that's a flash to the past, right? <laughs> so. But my guy, uh, it's right back to stats. It's Joe Morgan, right? I mean, that guy represented second base. I mean, over 99% of his games that he played in were at second base. He didn't bounce around. Um Hundred war, right? I mean, ninety-eight point eight uh, Fangraphs war. Um, 
you know, during the 1970s, uh, only Rod Carew had a higher on-base percentage than him. And I mean, you know, I mean, on-base percentage wasn't the, really the thing in the 70s, right? I mean, he led, Joe Morgan led the 70s in walks, right, to get that on-base percentage up there. But to have an OPS that rivaled players like Rod Carew and, and others during the 70s from the second base position, it just didn't happen. He was just elite, right? And he was just, he's the goat second baseman by far so that's i didn't get to watch him right maybe a little bit when i was probably like six or seven but man just i love cruising his stat page it's beautiful all right shortstop my honorable mentions i had cal rifkin and robin yount from my childhood well cal rifkin was i was more of an adult but robin yount was childhood and i gotta mention carlos correa as well but my favorite shortstop of all time, who someone had to be my favorite player at the time, is Ozzie Smith. I love that guy. Right? The all t- just a complete entertainer, man. Yeah. Um, it was never a dull moment, right? I mean, it was all, yeah, watching, right? Even as non-Cardinals fans. Yeah, I mean, you're just kind of hoping the guy at the dish was just going to hit one off to the right on, on you know, right side of Ozzy, right, wherever he was playing, just so that you could watch him make a spectacular play. He was just, yeah, he, he drew your eyes. He couldn't, you know, wasn't the greatest hitter by any means, but, man, his value out in the field through the roof. Uh, I had him down as an honorable mention, side by side with the, my boy Derek Jeter. But if we go back to, you know, where I was like my favorite moment, Cal Ripken, Cal Ripken's the shortstop. I played shortstop when I was a kid. Uh, Cal Ripken was already at that point, you know, uh, the guy to be. And and so I, I looked up to him as a as a as a baseball player in my youth. And um, man, he's just, you know, everything that you wanted as a shortstop, especially with that longevity. So. Yeah, put him in you know, a, at the at the at that position for me. You know, it was funny when I was a kid. I always wanted to wear number three because of Abe Ruth. Okay, never got to watch him play, but I just I was just I don't I don't know the adjective to use, but I was just amazed with the story of Babe Ruth as a kid. So I just I don't know. I just idolized him so much that I just wanted to be number three on. Yep. Yeah, I, I didn't play a lick of outfield. I wasn't a switch hitter. I wore number seven because Mickey Mantle was my dad's favorite player. There you go. My dad liked him too. So we go to third base. Some of my honorable mentions was Wade Boggs and Mike Schmidt. But I went with George Brett. I really loved George Brett as a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, he, he was so good, right? But he was such a a player. I mean, he, you could tell that that game wasn't just about a paycheck to him, man. That, that, that game was about winning. And, uh, I mean, that was awesome watching that, right, growing up. So, yeah, I, I have him as an honorable mention. Uh, Wade Boggs didn't make my honorable mention list because uh, Red Sox. Um, <laughs> Mike Schmidt's on my honorable mention list also. But... This one, I kind of lean more towards uh, viewing pleasure, uh, Adrian Beltre. So um, I just enjoyed watching him work, right? Especially towards the end of his career here, 
where he he really started like getting better, right? I mean, he had a pretty good career, but his last nine seasons that he played, I mean, he, he slashed 307, 358 with a 514 slugging percentage, right? Good enough mm-hmm. for a 130 OPS plus and a 130 uh, WRC plus. I mean, finished with, you know, over 3,000 hits, finished with over 1,100 extra base hits. I mean, he had it all. I mean, you know, I mean, you look at the, you look at things, you're like, okay, he's, you know, 17th on the all-time hits list. He's 14th on the all-time extra base hits list. But he's also 15th on the all-time games played list. But that's also kind of like going back to Cal Ripken. Being in the lineup is a stat. It's a skill, right? So. Yeah. For me, Adrian Beltre, uh, you know, he might not have been the most popular guy in Houston, but for me as a ball player, a ball fan, man, I I loved his work, especially at the end there. Yeah, I mean, he played for the Rangers, but I loved watching him play. He 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 made it fun to watch the game. So if we we look at if we go to outfield, I did I just put outfield. I didn't separate them into position. Okay, and this one was very easy for me to do. I don't even have honorable mentions. And the only reason I have honorable mentions is because I'm just writing names down. But for me, and I'll date my TVS days, so George Springer is, you know, one of my favorite players current. But when I was a kid, I loved Reggie Jackson. And I always begged my mother to get me the Reggie bars when she went to the IGA to get groceries. I always wanted a Reggie bar. And then I loved Dale Murphy watching the Braves growing up. I, the Dale Murphy was my favorite player on the Braves. Loved him. So Springer, Reggie, Dale Murphy. I don't have anything else except if I, if I just did Astros, it would be Brantley and Colby Rasmus just to give extra names. Gotcha. Um, if I was to just go probably Yankees and just go favorites, not worrying about stats is my thing that kind of moves me. Uh, I'm probably putting Dave Winfield in there. Uh, Brett Gardner is a fan favorite in my household. So Brett Gardner would probably be my center fielder in there. And then, uh, I mean, I probably, since if it's, we're just talking outfield, not actual positions, I mean, Mickey Mantle will make that list too, just because of, you know, who he was. And like I mentioned earlier, I wore his number in it because you know it was my dad's favorite player but he's also got a beautiful stat page too but that's not what i went with i did separate mine out into left center and right when i did mine and this is what i've got working from left to right uh i i got mr balco himself barry bonds in there (laughs) i can't i can't get i i mean i get i mean i get that he cheated right but yeah, you like him you like him you like him then. man the numbers that he posted and the things that he did i mean it, it just they're ridiculous right i mean 688 intentional walks in his career seven mvps he won eight gold gloves while he was doing it uh finished fourth in all-time war um I mean, he he played with the with the Giants for 15 seasons and finished with an 1143 OPS in that stadium. Yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. So Barry Bonds is my left fielder. Uh, if I'm moving around to center, I, I believe it's Willie Mays, right? I mean, I never got to watch Willie play, right? I'm way too young for those days. But it's just for the same reasons that Barry Bonds is the goat left fielder to me. Willie Mays. 
I was asked a couple weeks ago who the best player I thought in history was. And Willie Mays was my answer. Hmm. Uh, I think he just had everything that you needed to play. And he played in probably the, I mean, the most glorious position on the field, right? I mean, if we, we start looking at center fielders all time, right? I mean, I'm, I'm throwing Willie Mays in there and only giving honorable mentions to people like Mickey Mantle and Mike Trout and Ken Griffey Jr. and Cobb and Turkey Sturts. I mean, this is a stacked position. Uh, Willie Mays was, to me, the epitome of it and probably the best player to ever play baseball. Wish I could go back in time and see that. Um, and working my way over to right field, it's then the, probably the guy that I might be second on my list of all-time players, and that's Hank Aaron. So uh, Henry Aaron out in right field. Uh, it's, you know, uh, just an amazing career, right? 755 dingers. Um, just never hit 50 home runs, right? But he had 20 seasons of 20-plus home runs, and that's how he got to the to taking down Ruth's record. Um, he he had everything against him, right? Uh, it was a tough time to be a black player in baseball, and uh, he somehow found a way to get through it, rose above it, and, and set the all-time home run record. He still has the RBI record. He still has the total bases record. He still has more extra base hits than anybody else that's ever played the game. Um, yeah, that's my outfield. Uh, it would be an outfield I wish I could watch all three in their prime field up and play at once. It would be beautiful. All right, so pitchers, I got a pitcher. I got a starting pitcher and a relief pitcher. But I can't talk about pitchers, favorite pitchers of all time, without talking about my favorite pitcher as a kid, Mr. Kent Tacaldi. Do you know who that is? <laughs> yes, yes, that's awesome. He, I mean, I love those Pittsburgh uh, pirate hats. They're stupid now. I mean, they're very stupid. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to wear one. I but would love had, one. But they, they had the coolest hats. We are family. And as a kid, you're kind of like, you, you, you find weird things awesome. And for Kent Tocolvi to come in with the little glasses that turn into sunglasses, I guess they might have been sunglasses, you know, with the pirate's hat. And he threw sidearm, which everybody, when I was a kid, everybody tried to throw sidearm. Yep. And we just love Kent Colby. And it's cool that you remember him. Because not, not a lot of people remember him. But I'm going to go with two Astros, Nolan Ryan and Billy Wagner. Nice. I like it. I like it. I mean, Nolan Ryan, right? I mean, good grief. Seven no-hitters. I mean, what in the world? And Billy Wagner, if anybody knows me, Billy Wagner is my guy. I don't understand why he's not in the Hall of Fame. I vouch for him every year using the Billy Wagner for Hall of Fame account, and I'll keep doing it every year until he gets there. But that man had a Hall of Fame career and uh, hasn't gotten the respect that he deserves. So yeah. I love it. And if we go back to ten, uh, Kent Tecolve, uh the thing for me is, uh, I mean, I was a side armor when I played ball, too. And I had glasses that are pretty much just the same, right? <laughs> so uh, I am I was just a little bit later in age by about 30 years, but I, I got it. I understood who uh, ten, Kent Colby was. And, uh, yeah, he, he felt like me, right, just the older version of it. So, um, 
Yeah, I love it. For me, as that side armor, right? Growing up, uh, it was Dan Quisenberry. Yeah, right? that, that was my guy. I, I loved the fact that he wasn't just sidearm. I mean, the guy was throwing underhand, right? So, um, he was my guy. He isn't the guy that I put on my list. Um, if I'm going with my list, it's Mariano Rivera as my closer. Um, it was hard to choose that over a guy that I respect like Billy Wagner, but uh, I'd take the Yankee guy um, and obviously just the greatest postseason pitcher ever. Uh, my guy. And then for my starting pitcher, I mean, it, there's a lot of people, right? I mean, there's honorable mentions like Clayton Kershaw and the and Bob Gibson and Walter Johnson, who had an incredible career, uh, Satchel Paige, Randy Johnson, Roger Clements, Greg Maddox, who you mentioned earlier. But when it really boiled down to it, I had to take Pedro Martinez's prime. Hmm. That is one heck of a stretch to be able to do what he did in the American League East uh, during the steroid era, right? I mean, to post, uh, you know, a like a 2.2 ERA from 1997 to 2003. I mean, it was equal to a 213 ERA plus. He was 113% better than the average starting pitcher. I mean, it, it, he was just, as a Yankee fan, you never wanted to see him on the mound, and it was because he was just so dominant. So for me, that was the guy that, when I think of starting pitching, I think of, you know, prime Pedro. It's ridiculous. <laughs> So here's something funny, like for, for older people listening to this, when I wrote pictures, I wrote, this is, you know, just listing people so I can try to figure out who I'm going to put. I put Kent Tocolvi, Catfish Hunter, Raleigh Fingers, Ron Guidry, Roger Clemens, Dwight Gooden, J.R. Richard, Nolan Ryan, and Charlie Morton. That's who I put. That's a, that's a solid list, right? Uh, I mentioned most of the people on mine when I wrote them down. Uh, I didn't include Christy Mathewson in there. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned Warren Spahn in there, too. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, – I mean, there's so many of them. You know I mean, I, 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 I could put together multiple rotations that I just love, right? Uh, but to narrow it down to just one starting pitcher, whew, uh, I mean, there's just so many great ones, right, that are yeah. so good that uh, it, it, it's difficult. I would definitely lean, you know, if uh, if it was my favorite pitcher, I, I mean, and I wasn't worried about stats, I flat out loved Jim Abbott. I mean, what was that guy did. With one arm? Yeah, with yeah. one arm, throwing no hitter. It's just, a, to me, that, you know, it's just, Baseball. You have to love baseball enough to be able to play a game with one arm that everybody else has trouble doing it with two. So, um, you know, it's just amazing to me. Uh, I was uh, just one of those guys he looked up to when I was younger, right? So, yeah, that would that would have been my other guy if I just went straight favorite to watch when I was growing up. It would have been him, and it would have been Dan Quisenberry out out of the bullpen. Yeah, another guy I remember watching as a kid that I I tried to emulate if that's the correct word, was Louis Tiant because he would turn his, <laughs> he would turn his back to the, to the batter. And I just, we, we would try to do that as kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. 
bonkers. It's just like uh, Juan Marichal with that leg kick, right? I mean, we didn't have a lot of video as kids, but, you know, once in a while you'd get to see it on like, uh, you know, This Week in Baseball, you know, they'd show you some sort of replay of some black and white film that they got laying around or whatever, right? And you'd be like, how in the world did that guy throw like yeah. that? Because you'd go out in the yard and you'd try to do it and you'd like fall down half the time, much less throw a strike, right? Yeah. Um, just awesome to emulate people like that. So yeah, I totally get Luis Tiant. If I only could emulate his facial hair, that I'd be I'd be set. <laughs> yeah, I did the podcast about facial hair before, but I can't even remember what it was about. But it was something. It, it was something like there were so many years that nobody had facial hair, and then somebody like Reggie Jackson grew a mustache or something. It was just I don't know. I'd have, I don't have to Google it again, but. There's some be- there's some beautiful uh there's some beautiful mustaches out there, right? I mean, Raleigh Fingers always comes to mind, right? Um collecting the baseball cards and you get a Raleigh Fingers one, you're just like, I don't care if this card's even worth anything, right? It's just a cool card. Yeah, so, he's got the mustache. It's got, got the little curly cues on the end there. Yeah. I mean yeah. he he reminded you like, I don't know, uh the old, you know, silent films that you'd see, right? Like <laughs> The guy Dude, over there twirling his, <laughs> <laughs> twirling his mustache. Yeah. So, yeah, people like that or Catfish Hunter, right? One of your yeah. guys. So, yeah. Oh, he yeah. just had a cool name, too. He had a big mustache and a cool name. Yeah. Right. Jim? What? No, he's Catfish. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's I, fun. I, I, I wish, oh, man, there's so much, man. I wish I could, I could have lived for 160 years. And I'd be 160 years old today, so I could have watched all the baseball that's happened through time and all the silly nicknames that people got for all the different reasons they had them and stuff like that. So, man, baseball's just got such a beautiful history to it. Uh, there's some there's some dirty parts to it, too. But in yeah. the end, the game itself uh, it has a lot of beauty to it. And I, I look forward to it getting even more beautiful as, as time goes forward. All right, Jim, that's all I got for you, buddy uh appreciate you coming on yeah rob no man i i've been yeah like i said earlier i've been looking forward to coming on here uh chatting with you and and everything else and man it, it's, it's been nothing short of a pleasure of mine to be on here and i i, wa- I really want to wish you and your uh your fans a, a good season this year um i i know it's been a little bit rough kind of watching some of those guys that you've had that so much success with kind of they're leaving but you have so many pieces that are still there, and uh, I think it's going to be a nice year for being an Astros fan yet again. So, you know, enjoy the run. Yeah, we'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed having you on, and I enjoyed, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just saying my my guys' names, and you're just spitting stats out everywhere. So I'm sure everyone listened, enjoyed that, and hopefully, you know, the busy street didn't bother you because it was good content, folks. So. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for listening. And for Jim, we'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.